back to episode number 10 of the Gladiator's Den MMA, where we're going to look back at UFC International Fight Week 290. We're going to look back at some of the news from the previous couple of weeks and the fight night over the weekend. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back everybody. This is episode 10 of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. And if you are a frequent listener, just want to say thank you for hanging in there for these first 10 episodes. Hopefully there's many more to come and hopefully you're enjoying them because I certainly am. Um, I want to look back at UFC 290 mainly today. Uh, we'll probably look a couple of minutes at the end of the podcast at the fight night from the weekend. But let's be honest, nobody's nobody's too bothered about that. Um, I mean, UFC 290, now it's over a week ago. Dust has kind of settled. There's quite a lot of things to get into. But first of all, on paper, it was obviously going to be one of the best cards of the year. But I think it was one of the rare times where not only did it live up to expectations, but it probably exceeded expectations too, right? I know it broke the record for like, most finishes in under 40 seconds or something was it like four four finishes most of the prelims um ended in a finish so i know with robbie lawler's retirement fight being on the end of the prelims a lot of people probably tuned in to watch the prelims so i bet it was a good selling point for the ufc for people that you know don't subscribe to the pay-per-views and stuff but yeah i mean before we get into anything i want to quickly review my predictions so if i am remembering correctly i said cameron simon to win made it look easy in the first round against terence mitchell impressed with his uh, grappling i believe i also said jimmy crute would beat alfonso minefield which he did not now crute's performance was half-assed to say the least i mean he looked like he didn't want to be in there and after the fight he looked like he was going to retire and now we know he's clarified that he's not retiring but he's taking some time off i think he said he's negatively being obsessed with the game or something like that but yeah i think the opening five seconds minefield lands like a huge overhand right and after that landed, it kind of shook Crew. It's like he didn't want to be in there after he took that. Now, obviously I could be wrong with that, but based on his body language during the fight, that's what I thought. I thought as soon as he that shot landed, he's kind of like, he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do this. And then, yeah, he kind of fought a half-assed fight. Uh, I said Tatsuro Tyra would win. Now, Edgar Chires really tested him in that. I mean, if... Chires didn't go for those jumping guillotines like he did. He possibly could have won that fight because he was lighting him up on the feet. Now, has he shown a path to victory against Tyra? Possibly. Um, I think he definitely proved that he belongs in the UFC. His fight IQ just wasn't quite there for me during that fight. So, that's what, 2-1. and one. I said Nico Price would beat Robbie Lawler didn't happen now i'm super stoked that lala won in the way he did did it also feel like price rolled over a little easily i don't know but yeah props to robbie so two and two on my picks 
in the prelims. Then we get to the main card. Bonicle beat Woodburn. I said Bonicle would win. And even though the fight only lasted like, what, 35, 38 seconds or something, Bonicle was so impressive on with his hands that I think he's kind of... He's showing his development. Now, he's not been tested yet. He's only had five fights, is it? Six fights. I think he needs to take it slow. Keep doing what he's doing, beating these... Uh, these non-ranked guys take the Sean O'Malley route fighting on the main card getting a lot of money getting a lot of attention fight the lower names build your brand get the experience and yeah so three and two in predictions but I mean when it comes to predictions like these where the heavy favorites you can't really get credit for it right if you say Bo Nickel's gonna win and he's a minus 1000 favorite it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're good at taking the predictions. But yeah, next is the one. I'm going to get into all these fights in more depth later on. I just want to boast a little that I was correct with this. I said Dan Hooker would beat Jalen Turner. Dan Hooker was an underdog. So based on what I just said about picking massive favorites, I think you should also be credited when you manage to pick underdogs to win. Pantoja. I think he was also an underdog going in, right? Slightly underdog, slight underdog, but yeah, also won that fight. Did make a mistake with the Drickus Duplessis. Now, I'm going to get into that pretty soon because I think that was the biggest talking point of the whole pay-per-view. And then, of course, Volkanovski won. So, I made more correct picks than losses. And if you listen to any of my picks before, I'm pretty terrible. Uh, got a bunch of XP on the verdict app because I predicted some correct I had Dan Hooker I think submission win on verdict like quite a lot of XP so I was so pissed when uh no no sorry I had a knockout never mind I had a knockout in the second round before he got the submission I thought he was going to get the stoppage in the second round and I'd have cleaned up XP points if that had happened but yeah anyway we spoke about the uh, the incredible finishes in the fights the decision fights could have been fight of the nights I mean if you watch the first fight with Kirk and uh, Ribovix if I pronounce that correctly probably not that was a banger and then we had like was it four five six finishes up until the Tyra fight and then the Tyra versus Charis fight was obviously incredible as well then after that there was the Lawler finish the Bo Nickel finish, Drickus Duplessis, sorry, uh, Hooker decision, then Drickus Duplessis finish. So, then Pantoja decision, and then Volkanovski finish. So all the decisions, I mean, were incredible fights. If it wasn't for how incredible one another were, each of those probably could have been worthy of a fight of the night bonus on any other given card. So, credit to those guys. I mean, what a card. Uh... Let's get into it a little bit more now. So, the biggest takeaway for me, even though there was two championship fights, was the Drickus Duplessis win. Now, he was right. He was saying people are going to have to start, you know, deleting their comments, etc., etc. I was one of those guys that said, I don't see any way he has a path to victory. 
I was super adamant. I put out like two YouTube videos where I was talking about how Whitaker was going to win, how he was too technical, etc., etc. But Drickus just finds a way. He's 6-0 in the UFC. I believe he's finished them all, right? If I'm wrong, he's, you know, it's probably five. But he just seems to always find a way. And it's not like he got lucky. He won the first round against Whitaker and then finished him in the second. Barely got, barely took a, took a hit. Came out of that fight fit, no scratches. Um, held himself well in the, in the post press conference, in the post uh, fight face off with Izzy. Now, before we get into that, I just want to talk about his, uh, his win over Whitaker. Now, that was Whitaker's first non-title defeat in the world, in the middleweight division. Obviously, his previous UFC defeats came at welterweight. Now, obviously, coming up from welterweight, it's there's an argument that Whitaker is a, a smaller middleweight, especially when you saw the size of Drickus. But don't forget, he went. 50 minutes, two full five-round fights with Romero. And Romero had a tough time taking him down. Now, I don't know off the top of my head if he did take him down in, in those fights. I assume he did. But from based on memory, he had a real tough time. And Whitaker's takedown defense was amazing. Drickers took him down on the first one. Wasn't pretty. Got him in like a schoolboy headlock and just threw him over like a judo throw. And then when he was on top, you know... Given some more time, I find it hard to to see a way that Whitaker would have got out of that. His sheer size and strength was just an issue when he was on top. And on the feet, his kind of awkward pressure and awkward stance was giving Whitaker issues. He didn't take any damage. When Whitaker was bursting in, he was blocking well. He was finding his range. And yeah, he pieced off. In the second round, he dropped him with like a right cross, kind of like a jab. You've not seen anyone do that to Whitaker who's not named Israel Adesanya. And Israel Adesanya is, of course, arguably the best middleweight of all time. So for Drickers to do that against Whitaker, bearing in mind Whitaker's just come off, is it three wins against Kanemir, Vittori, uh, two wins after Vittori and Kanemir, after almost beating Izzy in a rematch, there is a lot of people who firmly believe he beat Israel Adesanya in the, in the rematch. And if you look on the verdict scorecards, I can't remember if he's winning on that. I think he was. If he didn't, it's super close. So it just goes to show this isn't like a washed Whitaker or anything like that. He's 33, I think. He is, after Israel, the best middleweight there is. And Drickus, he made it look easy, dare I say it. So... Yeah, the DDP train has started. If you don't know, now you know, as they say. But, yeah, so... Now we get to look forward to Drickus versus Israel. Which, I believe the bad blood and the kind of negativity going into this fight in the whole uh, real Africa and African champ story, it's going to get as ugly as we saw with McGregor and Khabib. Now, me personally, I'm for it. Now, I'm not advocating for it, but I'm not against it. If it gets personal between fighters, it gets personal. It's the fight game, you know what I mean? People are in this sport where you literally fight for 
your living. So to say that there's rules and stuff in the build-ups and you can't say this, you can't say that, is bullshit. Let them say what they want, let them have their peace, and then, you know, after the fight's done, 99% of the time they're going to shake hands and everything's going to be good. Now, it's going to sell pay-per-views, it's going to do numbers, so the UFC's obviously going to be fine with it and promote the shit out of it. And in terms of the, in terms of the actual fight, now, again, I think... I'm in the same boat as I was when Drickus fought Izzy. But how many times can I be wrong, right? I would assume that Izzy is too technical for him. All the points that I said about Whitaker stand with Izzy. Bar his takedown defense. I would uh, I would say that Whitaker's is way better. And if that's the case, if Drickus can get a hold of Izzy, then, you know, what's to say that he can't get... Is he down and smash him? Now, I feel like I would be a fool to count Drickus out again. I mean, I think I've picked against him in his last three fights. I think I said Brunson would win. I think I said Till would win. And I said Wirka would win. So I'm done counting him out. I'm just going to sit quiet on this one and, you know, kind of enjoy the ride, so to speak. Now... Do I think that that's going to get done in Sydney? I would like to hope so, but it is such a quick turnaround, especially for Drickus. Is it nine weeks? But what an opportunity for his legacy that could be. If you can beat Robert Whitaker and Israel in a span of nine weeks to become the champion, that in itself is, you know, history worthy. So yeah, not going to get into all the, you know, nooks and crannies of the storyline. If you want to learn more about that, um, I think it was last week on Ariel Helwani's show. He did like a 20 minute piece where he dug into it all. He got all the interviews up and stuff. I recommend you go watch that. They talk about it in way more detail, way more professionally than I could do. So it's just easier for you to go watch it there than listen to me dribble on about it. So I'm going to move on to the next thing I want to talk about, which is Bonicle is the real deal. Now, of course, uh, Woodburn was, you know, coming on in like three days notice or whatever it is, but still seven and all, he had Chris Curtis in his corner. So he's obviously, you know, trained with those guys. I think that, the way he went in with the right hand and came back out and rocked him shows that he has this power that he doesn't even know yet. Because he wasn't trying to put his lights out, he just hit him nicely. Bo Nickel has also got hands, and given, you know, a couple of years, a bit more experience, we have a real problem on our hands in the middleweight division. Now, I think you could put him against any of the top contenders, and right now and i think he could beat a lot of the top 10 there's just no point why rush somebody when you can polish them way more and have this way better finished product to fight build up his name market him more etc etc and i certainly think like i said with toporia on i think the last episode it's not a matter of if he's ever going to be champion it's a matter of when and my opinion, I would say within the next three years. 
if he fights three, four times a year for the next three years, I find it very hard to believe how he's not champion at the end of that. Yeah, I mean, what a scary motherfucker. And he's only going to get better as well. Just think about that. Think about what he would be like with, like, you know, insane stand-up as well. Crazy. But, yeah. Uh, Dan Hooker, the real BMF. I know the BMF title's up for grabs in a couple of weeks, but he's the real BMF, right? He fought with a broken arm for two rounds. He had a broken orbital bone. That head kick he took. I mean, I think... I can't remember who it was in the commentary booth that said it sounded like he got hit with a bat, but it genuinely sounded like someone had just twatted him in the face with a bat. And I think I was watching Chael Sonnen's YouTube videos the other day, and he was talking about how there was a narrative of Dan Hooker being washed when he lost against Chandler, which, you know, Chandler is gone on to fight in some of the most entertaining fights against the top five guys. The punch that knocked him down would probably have put down most professional fighters. He got beat by... Islam Makachev, which if Islam Makachev gets you down early in the fight when you're both dry, he's probably going to submit you. Then he had his time when he went down to 145. It was obviously a mistake. He was really depleted. And then everyone was writing him off. Before that, he went five rounds with Dustin Poirier, number one in the world, who and almost finished him, I think, in the second round, right? Poirier was saved by the bell. Dan Hooker was like ranked five or six in the world. He had one year where he got beat by the top, top guys, went down to featherweight and made a mistake. And then people are suddenly writing him off. I think this fight proved a lot of people wrong, that he's still at that top level. He's still really tough. Now, I know certain fights can change fighters when you have these incredible wars, like, you know, Robbie Lawler versus McDonald. They were never the same after that and stuff. And, you know, it happens. Now... A lot of people were trying to were saying that like, when he had that fight with Poirier, that changed him, which it was very possible, but I think the old Dan Hooker is coming back, and I think he is a tough fight for most top contenders in the lightweight division, and to beat Jalen Turner, who you know just come off a split decision loss against Gamrot, a lot were touting him to be the next big thing in the division. I think it's, uh, he's really put a good message out there for himself um who should we look at yeah so the two fights that i spoke about in my predictions was simon and uh tatsuro tyra now interestingly enough uh what what do what do we do with those guys next they're two young guys really talented not perfect yet but when when do we give them the test? You know what I mean. There's only so many times that they can put away contenders before they need you know before they get really tested or they get ranked guys, and I think it's soon for both of them. Uh, I think Simon said he wanted to fight Cody Garbrandt next. I think Bisping mentioned that during the uh, fight, which I kind of like that. I kind of like someone like that. A test against Garbrandt, someone who can wrestle, someone who has that knockout power well-known name, former champion. I think if you can get a win over someone like Garbrandt, then, you know, it catapults you up the rankings. The only issue is, is like Bisping said, once you fight someone like Garbrandt, there's no going back. 
if you beat Garbrandt and you're in the rankings, you're amongst the Sharks then. So, I think give them both another fight end of this year. And another non-right... Depending how that fight goes, that's when I think we should probably start giving them right, guys. But yeah, two super exciting prospects. Great performances over the weekend. Uh, Chires made a bunch of mistakes in that fight against Tatsuro, which it was so frustrating to watch because when he was having such success on the feet, I was thinking he could he could steal this. And it was the jumping guillotine twice. Then he nearly got it, right, in the third? He tried it again, I believe, and almost like almost had it locked in. Yeah, sometimes you don't realise that how important fight IQ is. Now, obviously, once you're in there and, you know, emotions are running high, you're being punched in the face, you're probably not thinking as critically as you would like to be. It's so hard to make these good decisions in these split seconds. But sometimes when people just make bad decisions, it's just, it's so annoying to watch because you feel so bad for them. Like, I'm trying to think of some really bad examples. Like when... Gaslin rocks Izzy in their fight and then he goes for the takedown. Maybe you don't realise in the spirit of the moment, but stuff like that, it's it's hard to watch, yeah. Uh, we spoke about Jimmy Crew. Kind of looked like he gave up the victory. I kind of believe Nico Price gave up the victory. The shots didn't look too heavy. You know, maybe he was trying to give Lawler this fairy tale ending. I don't want to be the bearer of some new conspiracy, but if you watch that fight, I mean, they didn't look too hard, did they? You know, it's like when, uh, who was it? When Taito Avasa knocked out Derek Lewis and he fell down. I was like, come on, you can take that. I've seen you take that. There's just sometimes where maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the body just gives up. And sometimes I think, you know, fighters kind of lean into it. They're like, ah, I'm done. And when it being Robbie Lawler's retirement fight, you know, maybe Nico Price was feeling kind. But yeah, um, obviously the fight of the night, uh, Moreno versus Pantoja. What a fucking fight that was. I mean, first of all, Moreno is incredibly tough, right? But Pantoja as well, man. I mean... I thought Pantoja would finish the fight. I didn't expect it to be a war like that. The flyweight division is so fun right now. It's so stacked. Flyweight and bantamweight are probably two of the most exciting divisions at the minute, which is strange because it's never been the lighter divisions that are the most exciting. It's always been the, the heavier ones. Now, if we look at the state of the heavyweight division and the light heavyweight division, it's completely opposite to what it was like five years ago. So, I'll get into the light heavyweight division after I spoke about this fight, if I remember. Because, you know, the news of Jamal Hill has come in with him. Uh, did he, was it his Achilles or his ACL or something in the basketball game? He's vacated the title. And obviously, Jones is hinting at retirement after his Stipe fight. So, we're back to square one with the heavyweights. <sighs> but yeah, get to that in a minute. So, um, Pantoja... He looked to be tired after the first couple of rounds, but, you know, dug in, put all the, the, you know, opinions and negative comments on him having no gas tank away. He looked tired, but he pushed through and was fine. 
Uh, Moreno looked great. I mean, he was his boxing was so good, and his like movement and stepping elbows were so impressive. He was really piecing Pantoja up. But once he gets to the mat, Pantoja is just a different animal. But yeah, I'm I'm so happy he won. I love Moreno. It's very hard to, you know, root against him. But when you saw what it meant to Pantoja after the fight, and then he goes on Aaron Hawani's show and says that he was doing deliver delivery or Uber Eats or something two years ago, it's hard not to root for someone like that, right? And then the, the bit at the end where he's like, hey, you're proud of me now, Dad, and shit like that, it's, yeah, so good. Uh, well, yeah, so the heavyweight division. Jones has essentially hinted it that he's retiring after the fight with Stipe. The only way that's not going to happen is if Stipe beats him. And then the light heavyweight doesn't have a champion right now, which means do they give the winner of Pereira and Blahovic, uh Jiri Prohaska, which, of course, Jiri has to fight for it first, right? His return fight has to be for the title, just like Jamal Hill's return fight has to be for the title. But do they give the winner of that fight the vacant title against Jiri, or do they crown the winner of that fight the champion? Or do they give Ankalaev and somebody else a title shot? Because Ankalaev was going to win that fight against Blahovic, and on you know many people's cards he probably did. But the way that he's quiet in the media, doesn't have a fight booked, it just doesn't work in his favour. And we saw how negatively Dana White spoke about him. So... I don't think Dana White's did given him any fight any favors. But I mean, what is he like? Eighteen one and one, he got he got subbed by uh, thingy uh, Craig Gordon, Craig Gordon, Craig Gordon, and like the last second of a fight. That's the only time he's ever lost. He probably was winning that Blahovich fight, and he's just kind of overlooked now because. You know, Dana White spoke poorly about him or he didn't think his fight was entertaining or whatever. But yeah, so the light heavyweight division is fucked. I mean, they've had like, what, five champions in the last four years, but the belt's only been defended once or something like that. Since Jones left, he really did fuck up that division. And now he's gone to heavyweight and he's the title there. He's going to cause havoc there as well because he's defending it against Stipe and he's probably going to retire. So then who do we give the title to? Yeah, so things aren't looking great in those divisions, which is why, you know, emphasis on the lower weight classes should probably start taking precedence, in my opinion. I've said it time and time again. Dana White puts these heavyweight fights on the main card because he likes, he fucking gets a rock on for these bigger fighters. Give the flyweights, give the bantamweights more uh, airtime. Give them the main events because they always give bangers as well. Speaking of smaller men, the GOAT defends his title again. I believe that's five or six defenses creeping up on the Jose Aldo eight. Um, pound for pound best, no argument in my opinion. Now, I believe him and Jones are tied first for pound for pound now, which I don't know if that's ever happened before, but they're both tied as the pound for pound. Um... That's just because the UFC likes to fucking promote the fuck out of Jones. But yeah, uh, I think Balk is so, so good, man. I mean, I spoke about it last week on the podcast or a week before, whenever the last episode came out, about how he always has a game plan. First two rounds, he did it. He wrestled, beat him up. 
And then in the third round, where Yair was probably having the better moments of the entire fight, Volk finishes him. He was piecing him up on the feet as well. He's just so good. His takedowns, his transitions, his movement, his footwork, it's just immaculate. Now, he's clearly in the peak of his career. We would be so, so, so disappointed if we don't get to see him fight as much as we can now. He is such a marketable guy. He is always willing to fight. He wants to be active. Him and Izzy are like the most active champions we've ever had in modern era. In the modern era. So it would be a shame if the UFC just don't, you know, maximize it. They should just keep booking him fights. Give him the choice, like Dana said. If he wants to fight Islam, he gets to fight Islam. If he wants to fight Tapore, he gets to fight Tapore. Both fights are insane. I personally would like to see him fight Islam again, just because of how close the first fight was. And I would like to see Volk just get another crack at it. Let him tweak his game plan. Let him sharpen his skills, have another crack at it. Then fight Tapore. But that fight with Tapore is also mouth-watering, you know what I mean? Tapore, I mean, Tapore is 26. I mean, let give him another fight, come on. I don't know, it's just so fucking... Both fights just give you a rock on, don't they? Both fights are just incredible. But yeah, Volkanovski is just so good that you just kind of expect him to keep to, to win, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't know how you can't like that guy. He is just incredible. But yeah, so that was the 290 roundup. I mean, what a card. This weekend's bit of a snooze fest. Uh, UFC goes back to England this weekend. And then obviously we have the big one in 291. But I mean, what happened this weekend? I'll be honest, I slept through this. So where I am in the world this the UFC is on in the mornings for me. I usually get up like 6, 7 a.m. and watch it. But, you know, I took a week off for the first time in a while. When I was looking forward to McKinney's fight, Patrick Young and Jack uh, Della Melodinas, I turned it on as uh, Durayev was walking into the arena. So I caught the last four fights. Now, I've not watched McKinney's fight. It's already got subbed. I mean, I rate Terrence McKinney. I think he's a great guy, a uh, great fighter, uh, entertaining to watch, explosive, powerful, whatever. Um, I'm going to watch that one back, so I don't really feel I have the tools to comment on it too much. Park Ju Young, 7-2 in the UFC. Officially ranked, I believe, now. If he's not, he will be by the end of the day. He's showcased now numerous times that he has some of the best grappling in that division. I think he's slowly but surely becoming a problem for the rest of the division. Um, has great boxing, has a uh, superb jab. Now, Duraev's never been submitted, and he got subbed in the second round late on, got caught a couple of times in the choke, almost looked like he was going to get finished a few times. Uh, Jiang took a few blows, gave some back. Now, his last three losses, and he's only had five, are against you know total studs if I remember rightly his last fight came to uh, Gregory Vigas Robocop no uh, nothing wrong with that 
he got beat in his UFC debut to Anthony Hernandez, Fluffy Hernandez. Again, another great fighter. That's two losses against, you know, some incredible talent. And then his loss before that was against Shavkat uh, Rachmanov when he was, and he went three and three. So his last three losses when he was three and three are against some of the best guys. And he's now 17 and five. That just proves how good he is. I certainly think he is someone that we should keep an eye on in terms of, you know, shaking up the middle of the middleweight division by the end of next year. If he can get a couple more wins against a couple more notable opposition, I think he certainly puts himself in a position to, uh, you know, to start calling out some bigger names. And I'm intrigued to see what happens. Um, what happened next? Francisco Prado knocked out uh, Ottoman Azaita in the first round. I wasn't too fussed with the stoppage. I know he was kind of... Uh, trying to resist it but he looked like he was done I mean he's kind of froze up as well a bit of a fall from grace from Alzar I mean he looked great when he first came a couple of years ago injuries just kind of fuck you up right and then Jack Maladine, uh, Jack Della Madalena got pushed to the limit by a Hafez now I think people need to stop underestimating Hafez's wrestling I think he would out wrestle a lot of people in that division period now, Madalena got pushed, yeah, but he got, he had to cut weight twice before this fight. That's obviously going to take a toll on him. You know, people talk about Hafez taking the fight on short notice. It takes two to tango. Two people have to take the fight on short notice for it to work. So, both guys took the fight on short notice. Both guys looked tired. Madalena just, his, like I spoke before about fight IQ, right? You're watching a fight and it just kind of frustrates you when people make the wrong decisions. Because it's so easy to be an armchair fan and be like, oh, do this, do that. Because we're watching from the outside. We're not getting punched in the face. We're not having to, you know, deal with everything that they're dealing with. So it's hard to comment on it. But when it does happen, it is just so frustrating. He just seemed to make all the wrong decisions. You know, he was trying to go to ground with the guy that was dominating him on the ground when he should have been wrestling, uh, when he should have been standing, when he was piecing him up standing. Yeah, I... I don't think Madalena has any issue dealing with Brady. I think he just uh, made a few bad decisions. And because the fighter took the fight on short notice, a lot of people are more easily impressed. And then, you know, you kind of root for that person. But yeah, split decision win. Big test for him. It's only going to, you know, make him better. Uh, hopefully we see him on the Sydney card. Because I don't think he took too much damage. He just kind of got wrestled. Let's just quickly look at the London card before I sign off. Because compared to the last few London cards, this one is nowhere near as good. I mean, Molly McCann's the co-main, so, you know. Um, is there any fights on here I particularly want to talk about? No, I mean, I'm obviously going to watch it, being from England. it's I like to watch these cards because they fill it with... English fighters, but I mean, Davy Grant's fighting. I mean, in the on the end of the prelims, main card's good. I like the main card. Prelims is pretty shit. I mean, Lerone Murphy versus Joshua Kulabal. That would be a great fight. Lerone Murphy really got tested in his last fight. Kulabal looked great in his last fight. Uh, Jai Herbert versus uh, Ziam. 
Again, should be a great fight. Paul Craig versus Bunez. Good grappling matchup. Nathaniel Wood, excellent fighter, big fan of his. Should have a great fight with Andre Philly. Molly McCann against Julius Stoklenko. Never even seen her fight. And then Tom Aspinall versus Tybora. You know, you'd expect Aspinall to get back into the win column. Tybora is like 36, 37 now. Getting on a bit. Aspinall just coming off his injury. Yeah, I mean, quite a bit going on. I will not be doing a podcast next week. I'm going on vacation. So I'll see you after UFC 291. Um, if you are following my Instagram, my YouTube, even if you're listening to this podcast, if you want to ask any questions, feel free to comment. Uh, you can go into Podbean, leave comments on there, YouTube, Instagram, whatever. Um, be nice to hear from some of you guys. Uh, I'll answer some of the questions on the podcast if I get any. Uh, but yeah, that's it for now. See you in a couple of weeks.